This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. At some point far in the future, historians will probably ask, what was daily life like in the early 21st century? Well, one thing we know for sure, nobody will ever point to these two clowns and say, This was how you should have been stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're the place where CSI meets spreadsheets, because today... We're talking about solving crimes by tracking the numbers with forensic accountant Tracy Conan. Plus, we'll sniff out a headline about the new milestone Vanguard just surpassed, throw out the Haven lifeline to a lucky listener, and, of course, we'll save room for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who should investigate why they have such horrible senses of humor. Good luck, guys. Joe and O J What do you call a guy with a rubber toe? A, a, a what? Roberto. <laughs> Welcome to Take That Doug podcast. I am Joe Saul C. I average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table, clearly ready for Wednesday. It's Mr. OG. I thought that was pretty good. My microwave repair guy gave that to me for free, he said. For f- no extra charge. No extra charge. And I told him that he priced his jokes correctly. How amazing is that? You know what else is no extra charge? They like hung out there for a solid like three seconds. And then it was like, slap. <laughs> like, and then he got it. I got halfway through my answer before. I'm, I'm just on to the next thing, man. And that's that. Thanks to the Motley Fool for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Motley Fool Stock Advisor provides two stock recommendations every month. Not two bad dad jokes from the dishwasher repair guy. Microwave, but yeah. Either one. You can see how much I listen to your stories. I can tell. It's amazing. Two stock recommendations every month. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free at fool.com forward slash SB. I like the analysis of Motley Fool looking through exactly why they like what they like. Also, thanks to Fiverr for supporting Stacking Benjamins. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or product. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com and use code SB. We got a great show today. Tracy Conan. I got to tell you, I'm a big uh, Sherlock Holmes fan. 
enjoy watching uh, true crime type stuff. Absolutely, Serial was a fantastic podcast that never I heard of it. Really got into breakfast cereal. That's where they they have problems in the morning. No, the follow up. What's really funny is that for people that have listened to the show for a long time, know that this was a thing between you and I, like five years ago, Just and I still refuse. Still to. haven't heard it. No, it's it's even it, Mrs. OG's like this is really good. You should listen to it. I'm it, like no, no. I, it was so it's good. Principle, it's on principle now. I can't go back on my word. It's called integrity. Because <laughs> you dig your heels in on important stuff like this. Something that Joe told me I would like. No. Yeah, pass. But you can't pass on this because you're on this train ride. She's upstairs talking to mom right now. But first, we got some headlines. So let's start the party. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I thought at the beginning of the year, it's a good time for this. This comes to us from CNN Business, written by Millie Dent. How to prepare for a job interview. Five things to know before you go. These are just some great tips to dust off, I think, for for anybody. Once you land a trying to tell me a little something. (laughs) Once you land a job interview, you know you're qualified for the position. But don't get overly confident and assume the interview is just a formality. Having the right skills is just the first step in a long road to landing a job. Being extra prepared can help you nail the interview. What makes people successful is going the extra mile, says Barry. Drexler, an interview coach, you don't just want to wing an interview. First of all, let's go through these. And because I I just thought these were great. They, they sound easy, OG, but the question isn't, have you heard them before? The question is, are you doing these? Number one, do you research on the company? It always amazes me, and I've interviewed lots and lots and lots of people over my career. Always amazes me when people have very basic questions you can find online about the thing that we're we're hiring for. I'm like, why mm-hmm. why, would, why would you ask that? Now, in some cases, maybe it's nerves, right? I mean, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but in other cases, I'm like, wow, you truly know nothing about us and about what we're all about. It's like the unsolicited uh, thing you get from LinkedIn. It's like, hey, OG, I've been looking at your profile, and I see that you're really a top-level player in the, you know, and then there's like brackets around the word finance space. (laughs) I would like to connect with you. Pick your brain or something. I I always run back and go, oh, what what excited you most about the profile? Uh, I mean, I do that also on Tinder, but... Just kidding. Not on Tinder. Not on Tinder. Do not look for me. If there is a guy with a bag on his head on Tinder, it is not me, I swear. And even if there is, I would say don't go for it. Generally swipe whichever way is the bad way. (laughs) The bad way. Yes. Swipe the spoken spoken like two guys that definitely know the product. Uh, Swipe the bad way. It's amazing what just a little tiny bit of research will do. When it comes to anything in your life, it's funny how often I'll meet people to interview them for the show. And and a lot of times these people are doing national book tours <laughs> and people will go, you know how refreshing it is to talk to somebody who actually read at least part of my book? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, I know that's something that you do. You make sure that you get through a couple of highlights of it at least, if not the whole thing. But I'm not patting myself or- on the back. I'm just saying if you're going to interview somebody... You got to be able to ask them a question. Yeah. 
you know, unbelievable. Well, this goes, I think this goes both ways. If you're going to interview somebody for the job, it just like you're interviewing for the job. If you're going to interview someone for the job, take a second prior to them showing up in your office and try to get a sense of what you might ask them, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe read their resume. So you're not like going, so says here, you, uh, yeah, graduated from university of Texas. Oh, don't you hate that too. When you're, when you're, you're like, really, thank you for, thank you for yes. taking a lot of interest in making sure that, uh, that you get a good quality person. Yeah, if, if this is the way you run your company, the way you're running this interview, do I really want to be on board this ship? Yeah. Oh, that would be stony to like say that. Oh, that in interview. <laughs> Stand up, kick the interviewer and just walk out. Yeah. Next up, do your research on the company. The worst thing you can do in an interview is walk in unprepared said Alex Twersky, co-founder of Resume Deli, a resume and career service firm. I like that name. Study the job description. A big mistake many people make in a job interview is having the same prepared speech no matter the company, said Drexler. Adapt what you're going to say to the person you're meeting with, the company, and the job. I've also seen that where I feel like the person hits play. Well, my basic skill set is da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, is this the 43rd job you've applied for today? Because I <laughs> yeah. really just felt the recording come on. Yeah, it's going to be unique for everything. And especially when you're looking at a upgraded opportunity, I think it's even more important to take what you can do and try to mold that into what they're looking for, because you might not have the skill set, all of the requisite skill set. So you have to kind of massage that a little bit and show how you can learn into it. Yeah, I love it when people would take their answer and their skill to your point and talk exactly about some function of working here that they've read about online. And, and OG, even if it's incorrect, even if I'm like, yeah, that won't work here. They don't know that, it's, but it shows they prepared. Right. It that, took a second. That, yeah, they thought about it. It's funny, by the way, if you're pitching anything in, in an interview, you're pitching working for that company. We obviously get pitched all the time, people coming on the show. I got a pitch last week from a guy who wanted me to be part of a summit one of these deals where you have a bunch of experts online, people can take part. Our friend Don Dalby just had a good one that I took part in. But this guy tells me, hey, I really want you to be part of my success summit. I really like what you do. And, and it kind of became clear that it was generic, but it was super clear it was generic in the fourth paragraph that said, we're not only going to have you, but other top experts such as, and there's a bracket. And it says in brackets, insert other top experts here as they become available and join the summit. End bracket. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be other people here, such as insert later. Da da da. Oh yeah, you. you you're, Can't you, wait. You took some time out to do this. Well, come up with questions to ask at the end of the interview. That's always mm -hmm. the hardest one for me, though. Partly because I'm nervous. I remember. I've, every interview I've ever done. So you have any questions for me? Yeah. Uh, did I get the job? <laughs> That's the only question I want answered. I'll worry about my 401k matching some other time or your strategic operations in Brazil. I'm sure it's all very exciting, but, but do I get to show up on Monday or how's this working? I always think, and this is my personal defect. I think of snarky crap to say, mm, well, that's not a defect, but how long are smoke breaks? Exactly. Is there a number of bathroom breaks you can take during the day or is this pretty unlimited? So if I have a problem with Carol, the receptionist, 
do I do I go directly to her or do I, I talk is to this, you? Is this something that you would handle? What level will my parking pass be on? Can you show me the refrigerator and everybody else's food in there? Because because I'm anticipating. I can't be seated by any mouth breathers. So, which corner office will I be in? That's a good one. And then last, uh, look the part. I love this one. We were interviewing somebody when I was at American Express. This gentleman had on a cheap white shirt and had lots and lots. I think I put like five more lots on there of uh, of chest hair. And hey, man, if you got it, bring it. But I got to say, wear a T-shirt because this dude's jungle was showing, was showing through his shirt. And it just, it was, I, I couldn't even concentrate on the interview. I interviewed somebody one time where it was raining really hard outside and the guy, uh, he's in the lobby. Oh no. Just soaked to the bone. Right. I mean, same thing, but he's got a white t-shirt on, like a skin is showing through his, and I'm like, Oh, we don't have like towels in here. So I'm like, Hey, do you need a second? And he's like, Nope, I'm good. And I was like, well, I admire the enthusiasm, but you look like an idiot. So all right, let's do this. And he just like literally sat and like dripped water. I mean, just oh. everything was soaked, right? And in that case, yeah. just think about your environment just for a second. Yeah. What I found out, because afterward I was like, where did this guy park so that he like had to walk so far in the rain while he parked around the other building? There's two buildings attached. He parked oh, around the other no. building. And there he went riding his bicycle. Oh, no. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, I admire the, hey, I've got a meeting Absolutely, at five. Absolutely, yeah. I'll be there at five. But I kind of wonder at like what point in time in that ride did he go, I wonder if it would be better just to call in sick for this. Like, just come on a sunny day, or at least a not rainy day. Or apologize but, and take your minute, make it clear that you don't want to drip all over the place, or be a little... Yeah. Mm, oh, that's horrible. Anyways. Yeah, some good tips here. We'll link to those. He dressed the part. He had he had a good suit on. It was just a very wet suit. Yeah, I feel bad for him. Our second headline comes to us from uh, Yahoo Finance. Big, big milestone for an asset company you might have heard of. You ever heard of one called Vanguard? Yeah, every day. Vanguard's assets under management have surged past the $6 trillion milestone for the first time after it gathered $268 billion. $268 billion in new cash in 2019. It's third best annual performance on record. Net global investor inflows for Vanguard rose 16.5% last year from $230 billion in 2018, according to preliminary data provided by Financial Times by the world's second largest asset manager. It's a lot of money. Vanguard held the title of world's fastest asset manager for seven consecutive years up to 2018. Wow, BlackRock must have had a huge lead if Vanguard's been leading the way in gathering assets seven years in a row. Yeah, BlackRock's a big company too. That big old company. But I like my iShares. Like my iShares. So do apparently trillions of other lots dollars. Lots of other people. Yeah, if Vanguard's the number two. Uh, so congratulations to them. These numbers get so big, it doesn't mean anything. Except you keep hearing... This it really is. I mean, we partner with a company that does some reporting for us and they crossed a trillion dollars in total assets that they report on. And it's took them 20 years to do that. I was thinking about this in that context, like exactly how much money that is. Same thing about the, you know, the companies, Amazon and Google and whatever else, these companies that have crossed a trillion in, you know, in value. And, uh, 
some of them are now, they kind of vacillate between over and under and some of them are well above now that, that, uh, you know, take something really catastrophic for them to go below. But just like how much, how much that is, it reminds me of this, Joe, if I asked you how long ago was a million seconds ago, first answer that pops in your head, don't really give it too much thought. Uh, how long ago was a million seconds? 10 years ago. 11 days. <laughs> Swing and a miss. <laughs> how long ago was a billion seconds ago? So 11 days ago was a million? Right. Be 25 years ago? Yeah, 32 years. Yeah. Okay. How long ago was a trillion seconds? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, 300 years ago. 31,000 years ago. 31,000 years ago. Yeah, that's the scale. We don't get these. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's just you, you get past. I mean, I think you know when we look at you know our personal financial goals, we're like, oh my gosh, I'll never get to a million. But then you go, okay, I've got to a million. I'll never get to two. I'll never get to five. But compounding really works. Nevertheless, the difference between somebody that has a million dollars and somebody that has a billion dollars is exponential. Just, I mean, it's out of this world crazy difference. But then you start thinking about using numbers like. 200 billion in assets gathered or, or we now manage a trillion dollars or in Vanguard's case, six trillion. I mean, it's more money than there are stars in the sky. It's crazy. The question I ask that becomes more relevant all the time is with more and more people indexing, if Vanguard, BlackRock at all, these fidelity decide to use all these votes that they've accumulated. Mm Mm-hmm. You could have a science fiction story right now where three or four companies run the entire world. Yep. But it's still, uh, interestingly, a relatively small percentage of the overall investment world. Yeah. Isn't that, you know, isn't that wild? Whatever it is, 14% or 18% or whatever that grand total number is, I'm not sure. But it's still, all in all, a smaller percentage than most. Now, it's, all, it's a lot of the new money. It's, in, va- in fact, the vast majority of the new money, for sure. It's interesting you say that because uh, one of my favorite books on investing, and by the way, not a book I'd recommend because it's so damn dry, called Trading Rules back from the 1990s. One of the key tenets, OG, is to your point, there is so much money out there, you have no idea why anybody does anything in the market. You have no idea why it went up. You have no idea why it went down. And whenever you have people on air trying to explain away why things happen. There's so much money and you are such an insignificant drop that if you give away that you know anything, that makes you that much more fearful and also makes you that much, which is a good thing because then you put an investment policy in place instead of just going with your gut. And you also look for data versus going with emotion and once you've done that, it makes you such a better investor. Yeah. How, how narcissistic are you to think that you have any sort of pull on any particular issue whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, unless it literally is you are an insider and you own X percent, you know, you own 10 percent. Warren Buffett owns 10 or 11 percent of a number of companies. He, he has some influence over those organizations, right? Like if he sold all of his American Express stock in one day, it would be material. Um, it would be noticeable to the market, right? It's taken him seventy years to accumulate that. <laughs> <laughs> also, he started a long time ago, and started with something. So, I mean, 
It's like the gall that people have, not only investors, but companies to suggest that they have some idea as to why something happened. And you just look at the scale, like you said, of this, and you're talking about trillions of dollars of one organization. And then now you take that and say, well, how much is the market capitalization? What's, what's the entire market worth? There's an answer. I don't know it. But, you know, and, and you're talking about, like, I have an idea why this happened today. Once you, like you said, once you banish that thought from your mind, you, like, totally free up your, your mental capacity to actually think, how am I going to get this done for me? Well, you know? and, and talking about American Express stock as an example, the author's example is let's say American Express stock goes down for four days and you go, ooh, 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 this looks like a buying opportunity. You buy it at that number. The author says, why did you buy it at that number thinking that it went down four days in a row is any different than buying it today is any different than purchasing it four days ago. It's because your brain tells you that your little brain is smarter than everybody else and now after yeah. four days in a row that you bought it, you know what's going to happen next, OG? It's now going to go up. It is now going to yeah. go up. And Look he's like, smart you are. how narcissistic is that to think that a company that went down four days in a row is going to go up now because you bought it. Because you did it. Yeah. Yep. I think that is a great uh, first lesson. And uh, lesson number two, on a job interview or heck, pitching anything, which is essentially an interview, do a slight bit of homework, come prepared be ready to ask questions and be ready for the questions they're going to ask you. I'm so excited about our next guest, Tracy Conan. Tracy's a forensic accountant and fraud investigator with sequence Inc in Milwaukee and Chicago. You know, what she does OG. No, she goes through and digs through statements, paperwork, spreadsheets, account details to find embezzlement, financial statement fraud, securities fraud, Ponzi schemes. She takes part in divorce settlements, quite a fair amount, by the way, white collar criminal defense, insurance fraud, civil litigation. I just think this would be such a fun, fun, fun job. Finding pe- Taking people down? Well, finding people cheating just by using the numbers. Just by using the numbers. Let's talk about a really cool job and maybe, maybe talk about a few bad guys, bad people being caught. Tracy Conan coming to the basement. Walking down the stairs to the basement. Here she comes, the Nancy Drew of CPAs. Tracy Conan joins us. How are you? I am well, Joe. How are you? Well, I'm great now that you're here because whenever we can get like CSI meets financial geekery, I'm in. Right? It's a good time. It's always a good time. Did you start off as a money nerd or a crime solving nerd? I definitely started off as the crime solving nerd. As a young girl in a little Catholic school, we'd go to the little one room library to choose library books. And there I was choosing the Encyclopedia Brown books. I love those. Yeah, as you can imagine, with a little tiny little one room library, you know, just tiny little 
about a, the size of a walk-in closet. There weren't a whole lot of books. And so I exhausted the Encyclopedia Brown books pretty quickly. So then I had to read them over and over. But that was my jam when I was a kid. I just didn't know that it was going to be possible to investigate crimes as it relates to numbers. What I'm wondering, though, I could never ever. This is a hard hitting question. We all start with the hard hitting questions here in the basement. Oh, good. I never solved any of them. Like any of the Encyclopedia Brown stuff, I couldn't solve any of them. And it was a little frustrating, but it was always fun. You're solving crime now. Were you solving them all ahead of time? Like before you got to the solution, did you know the answers? Yeah, it's part of the fun for me, right, is is knowing the answers in the books, right? Because it's, it's predictable. I mean, but you sort of raise a point, you know, when people talk about the skills of a forensic accountant, that's not terribly exciting to someone like you, probably, you know, you learn how to do the accounting and all this kind of stuff. But one of the key skills I have always believed was this innate nose for fraud, you know, this intuition that comes along with it. I can't tell you how many times I've been investigating a case where I'll pull out a handful of transactions and go to the business owner and say, can you tell me about these transactions? And the business owner says, why did you select those transactions to ask me about? And I say, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure why, but they just don't feel right to me. Is there something odd about them? And the owner will say, you know, I, I didn't know about these transactions, but they're absolutely odd. And here's why. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, we could be having to talk about the supernatural right now. Right. We kind of are. <laughs> we can. That's right. So somebody doesn't, well, maybe. I mean, did you get into your career in a straightforward way? Hey, I'm going to be a forensic accountant. I'm going to go catch bad guys, bad, bad ladies. Whoever gets into their career that way. Let's no. be honest. Oh, podcasting. It's a straightforward shot. I graduated with a degree in podcasting, went to my mom's basement, started working. Yeah. So people ask you today, what's your job? You say, well, I'm a podcaster. And they're like, what? Is that a job? <laughs> that isn't even what they say. They're like, is that code for loser? <gasps> is that what you mean? They have no idea how hard you work. They have clearly. no idea. No, we turn on the microphone and talk to people like Tracy. That's what we do. Oh my God. The behind the scenes work is what would make me crazy about what you do. But that's There's... you guys. I mean, that's, that's what you do. So let's turn this back on you. Sister, Fair enough. Because I've, I mean, I do have to say that I bet that the job is 20 seconds of excitement, which comes at the heels of 48 hours of complete boredom going through the numbers. Okay. There's nothing boring about going through the numbers Sorry. for me, <laughs> but you're right. You know, I spend hours and hours and hours and hours going through detailed transactions, tens of thousands of transactions, line by line, looking at every single one and trying to piece something together, connect the dots, find out, you know, the money bounced from here to here to here, and then back to there. And then it was split up and went three different places. And yeah, it takes an awful lot of work to get to that, that final aha moment. We, we deviated from my last question though, which is how did you get there though? Okay. So it wasn't a straight line, but it's not a, not a long story. I uh, went to college to get a degree in criminology. And my number one goal was to become a prison warden because I am fascinated by prisons and their culture and the social constructs there. And, and the criminal justice system fascinates me. And so that was where I felt my place in the world was. And in my sophomore year, I took a special class, one of those you know fancy ones that's offered once every few years called financial crime investigation. And that was taught by an IRS criminal investigator. I took that class and said, 
that's what I want to do. Not necessarily in that specific job, but I want to do financial investigations. So I then started taking accounting courses and economics, general business type of courses so that I would be qualified to hold that job. Was was the investigator fascinating or the topic fascinating or both? I mean, was it a really cool person teaching the class as well? It was mostly the topic. I mean, the yeah. guy who did it was better than many, yeah. um, but still a little dry, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, imagine a, someone who's been a federal government employee for 20 some years. You can imagine how exciting he must be. All of our uh, federal employees listening to today's show, send your hate mail to Tracy at... <laughs> right? Well, it's really interesting. So you look at what I do in the private sector and you look at what IRS criminal investigators do, and they're going to tell you, oh my gosh, our, our investigations are far more complex than what Tracy ever does. And I think on average, they each open something like three or four cases a year. Uh, and that's what they spend their time doing. And I do between 15 and 20 cases wow. a year. Wow. So yeah. And yes, our work is a bit different, but largely the same. And you know, because you worked there for a while. Yeah, I um, did an internship with them uh, following this class that I took because I, I wanted to see what it was like. And the internship had some interesting aspects and some aspects that I didn't care for. But I thought, well, you know, I'm an intern, right? You're bottom of the barrel. They don't give you the good stuff, whatever. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. So um I went ahead and applied for a position once I was done with my bachelor's degree. And while I was waiting for the registry to be open and the whole really long process to happen, I worked as a probation officer. How exciting. And uh, finally got hired by the IRS and worked with them for a few months, went through their criminal investigator training program in Glencoe, Georgia, sort of the Quantico yeah. for all the other federal agencies. Um, and that was a 10 week program. Fascinating, you know, learned how to shoot a gun, how to do a search warrant, really? how to take someone that wrestle someone to the ground and get cuffs on them. But I came back from that and, you know, just decided that these were not my people and that uh, a life as a federal employee just wasn't, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so decided that I do better off in the private sector. And that was an awesome choice for me. Well, if, but even then, my understanding is it still wasn't a straight line. You went from there then into straight accounting. Right. So when I graduated from my undergraduate program, I had a major in criminology and I had a minor in business, which was another 30 credits to get that silly minor because there were so many classes you had to take. And trying to get a job in the business sector with a minor just wasn't going to happen. So I decided to pursue an MBA. Getting my MBA, I used all of my electives to take more accounting courses so that I could sit for the CPA exam. Ah. So I sat for the CPA exam, hallelujah, passed the first time and got a job working at Arthur Anderson of Enron fame yes. is okay. in a traditional <laughs> auditing role, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. How funny is that? Everyone thinks that's funny. <laughs> yes. It is. Arthur well, Anderson. It's incredibly sad is what it is. I just didn't expect you to, to go with uh, Enron. Um, right. So let's go through a little bit about what you do. You've been nice enough to uh, kind of change some of the details of some of these cases that you've worked on, but well, let's put it this way. The details are the same, but the names have been changed to protect the guilty. I want to start with this case that you had with a husband and wife. Did the wife contact you or did a investigator contact you that the wife was trying to see if the, if the gentleman had a girlfriend or how did, how did you get involved with these people? 
So all the cases that I get involved in come to me from attorneys. Okay. So divorce attorney contacts me because I do a very narrow service in attorneys called lifestyle analysis, where I'm going through all of the spending of the parties prior to getting divorced so that we can come up with what is the cost of the marital lifestyle. And I do this for wealthy people because they don't know how much they spend and, you know, they make gobs of money. And so they're never going to be subject to what normal people are subject to, which is maybe a percentage of your income would go to child support or, or spousal support. Uh, When you're very wealthy, it doesn't work that way. And it's, it's more based on what lifestyle did you lead before the marriage ended the courts kind of say you're allowed to continue to live a similar lifestyle. So you should have a house that's that's of a similar quality and you should be able to spend the same gobs of money on clothes and jewelry and things as you did before you got divorced, right? So the attorney hires me. I come in to do this lifestyle analysis because we need to quantify on behalf of the wife how much she was spending every month and therefore how much alimony she's going to get. Well, Another facet to doing this lifestyle analysis is sometimes one or both of the parties is spending marital money on non-marital purposes. We call that marital waste. The technical term is dissipation. And so the wife had said, you know, my husband is spending all this money. He's got this girlfriend. He's got a new girlfriend. He moved away. He's got this young model-esque girlfriend and he's wasting all this money on her. And it's basically depleting what was available for us to split 50 50 because they'd been married for 20 some odd years. So, you know, the normal part of my work was just doing this lifestyle analysis so we could figure out how much alimony she should get. And the not so not always happening type of thing was this dissipation claim. And can we figure out how much he spent on the girlfriend? And so now you've got a new job trying to figure that out. So when did you pick up the scent that there might be a little money being spent on the girlfriend? Well, I knew it right away because the the wife, you know, said, you know, he's he's buying her all these things. She likes all these brands. She's wearing the Hermes and the Gucci and all this kind of stuff. And and he's buying all this for her. Uh, and you're going to see it on the credit card statements. And well, sure enough, I look through the credit card statements and you see shopping at various stores. But who is that money being spent on now? Right. Pres- presumably, if it's a store that only sells women's items we can infer that that's for the girlfriend. But if it's a Nordstrom, we don't know what that's for. Or the high-end store that sells both men's and women's stuff. Neiman Marcus, whatever, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Louis Vuitton, who's it for? We don't know necessarily. And so, you know, the wife, you know, oh, I I have pictures of his whore. Do you want to see pictures of his whore? She could not refer to this girlfriend without calling her a whore. Fine. (laughs) So... You know, she clued me into this young lady's Instagram account, you know, and and we're talking about a man who's in his 50s and now he's dating someone who's in her early 20s. And so, of course, there's bitterness there. And so I go look at the whore's account and, um, you know, see that, yes, she's posting all sorts of pictures and she's got all these purses and jewelry and all these things that she's flaunting on Instagram. And the light bulb goes on in my head and I start comparing the credit card charges to her Instagram posts. And can I compare dates? And sure enough, here's a charge at a particular department store on that same day on her Instagram account. She's got a picture of herself holding a fancy purse or showing off her new bracelet, et cetera. And so there was an opportunity there. There, Everything's starting to line up now. Everything's starting to line up. And so the difficulty, of course, is that I've got to go through the credit card statements line by line. I've got to go through 
150 Instagram posts to find which ones have the right dates and and the right locations and such. And, And it also applied to eating out at restaurants. You know, the question is, who's eating at a particular restaurant? Is it him? Is it him and a friend? Is it him and the girlfriend, et cetera? Well, she liked to go to high-end restaurants. She liked to post pictures of herself there, tag the restaurant, et cetera. So we were, I was able to you know, sort that out as well. And you're also at the same time doing other investigation to find out if he's there. Because if he's not there in that location where the money's being spent, then you've got more evidence that it's just the girlfriend, I would imagine. Right. And so what we were finding also was there were charges on the credit card in Miami uh, where he had moved to to live with his girlfriend. Um, But the family is back in Chicago and he would come back to Chicago to see his kids, to check up on his business and things like that. And there were times when we knew he was in Chicago, yet there were these charges in Miami. And he denied like crazy that his girlfriend had a credit card on his account. But through this, we'll call it the Instagram investigation. Yeah. I, I, Instagram investigation. That sounds kind of catchy. We were able to prove that she must've had a credit card on his account. So now you've got them all lined up, but you've got to be able to show this proof. So what do you do? You go through the Instagram account then, and and you've got photo line item, photo chase, photo chase, photo American express, or, or how did you do it? Well, funny, you should ask Joe. So that was exactly the idea of what we were, what I was going to do. So I realized that the Instagram account had what I needed. I said, okay, I've got to get screenshots of all these with the dates on it. And as it so happened, you know, when I looked at Instagram on my desktop, all it was saying was two weeks ago. When I was looking at Instagram on my phone at the time, it was showing a date oh. on each picture. Oh, yeah. Okay, we need the date. So fine, I've got to do screenshots of all these photos on my phone. And then I'm going to have to, you know, export them and put together a report with these visuals and the, you know, lining it up with the credit card statement. So I, I decide, okay, this is going to take me hours to do. I'm going to do that tomorrow. The tomorrow will be a great day to do that. And so this young lady's Instagram account, which was completely public to us the next day, I, I, I go get on my phone. I'm going to start doing the screenshots and she has locked down her Instagram account. It is now private. So all you got to do then, Tracy, I imagine, is go get a fake account. And I mean, there's, a, you know, you're some random stranger that, that just wants to peek behind the wall. I don't, I don't know. Joe, 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 Joe. You have to do an ethical investigation because Uh-oh. God forbid I'm on the witness stand in court in front of a judge and I have to say I lied about who I was in order to, you know, uh. become a follower of her Instagram account. So creating a fake Instagram account really wasn't an option because the optics are bad. Is it illegal? No. Does it look unethical? Absolutely. I'm certainly not going to request to follow her Instagram account with my own real Instagram account oh, because then she knows my name's going to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So panic ensues on my end. And my first thought is malpractice. My client is going to sue me for malpractice because I delayed in getting this evidence that we could have had that would have totally proved our case. I mean, and we're talking at the end of the day, the dissipation that I calculated was a few hundred thousand dollars. Holy cow. Wow. And that's only over a period of two years. Wow. And so, so if you think of it this way, if, if he's wasted $300,000 on his girlfriend, if you pull that $300,000 back into that pile of assets that there is to split, my client's part of that is 150 grand. She's entitled to an extra 150 grand. Is she going to sue me for messing this up? Possibly. So, I'm panicking and I'm trying to think of ways to, to, to somehow see these Instagram posts. 
and I, I don't come up with anything. I'm just not that smart, apparently. But, uh, you know, I wait a day and the next day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking this through. What am I going to do about this? And I go look at the Instagram account and it is once again public. And so I furiously am sitting there with my phone and my two little fingers screenshotting every <laughs> single Instagram post as fast as I can. <laughs> stay public, stay public, stay public. Right, right. <laughs> Yes. So I get all the posts that I need. I then go through this process of lining every single one up with all the credit card charges, of course, made harder because does the date of the credit card charge exactly match the date of the activity? Or sometimes it comes through a day later, or what if she's posted a picture a day later? And so you, you have to, you know, factor all those things in, but Ultimately, yeah, we were able to come up with $300,000 that we could prove. Can you imagine all the spending on her that we couldn't prove? Oh, there, there must have been a ton more. Right. There, there and and bless his heart, you know, it was all above board. He and his wife had long split up. And, and, and if he wants to go date someone else, sure. fine, go date yeah, someone yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. That, yeah. The wife thought that that shouldn't happen, but so be it. I mean, it's pretty normal when people officially separate and file for divorce, they may be dating someone else. Um, but it was this idea that he was spending all this money on the girlfriend and uh, he was, you know, working on retiring from his business. So there maybe wasn't going to be any new income coming in in the near future. And so it was very important for the wife exactly what that pile of money was to split. I'd like to go through just we have time for one more. You had a couple that moved to the Middle East. I thought this was an interesting story. So this is a fun story that really has nothing to do with my investigative prowess or anything <laughs> I had to do with it. But yeah, so this couple was living in the Middle East with their two kids and, and the husband had a consulting type of business and some of it was above board. Others of it looked really, really sketchy, but the wife didn't know a whole lot. She was she was actually a registered officer of the business, but she really wasn't involved in it anyway. And they came back to the U.S. for what was going to be a temporary period. And while they were here, he filed for divorce. Okay, so they're in Florida. They're getting divorced. It's very contentious. She hadn't worked in many years, and he was supposed to pay her temporary alimony while the divorce was pending, and he was chronically not paying her. And so they were having to go back into court over and over and over. And she hired me to try to prove his income because he was saying, well, you know, there's really no consulting work. I'm, I'm not there anymore. I'm not in the Middle East. And and she's saying, well, you made gobs of money while you did it. Where is all this money? And he's saying, no, no, there's no money anywhere. So she was hoping that maybe I'd be able to track down where that money was parked. So I'm down in Florida going to court with her one day uh, because I, I'm going to have to tell the judge why we need access to certain records. And Even before we get to this, though, Tracy, I mean, wh wh where do you even start there? Because I'm thinking... If she already has access to bank accounts, she's probably flipped through the bank accounts. She has no idea. Like, do you start investigating into what the business actually is? Like, what's the nature of the actual business? What's the who his maybe clients were? I mean, I don't even know where to begin. There's often two pieces to investigation. One piece is what I call the wild goose chase. And that's what you just described of who's who and what's what. Yeah. And the other piece is following the money using documents. The wild goose chase is not the piece that I do. That's really for a private investigator who specializes in this kind of stuff. So for example, there's a guy in New York that I work with, I've worked with on a bunch of cases where his thing is overseas trying to find out who's involved in these companies and where are these relationships between people and such. So he does the wild goose chase. I'm really very much 
my investigations are based on the documents and can I trace money between accounts and such? Right. And and what I'm looking for in a case like this, a guy is not going to necessarily transfer $100,000 from a known bank account to his secret bank account, right? He's going to take $100,000 out in cash and then maybe turn that into a, a cashier's check and then go run and put it in that other account, hoping that we stop our investigation at the point of he took the cash out of the account. So I go to court with her. We're having trouble getting documents, getting access to things. And I go to court with her because I'm going to plead her case to the judge. And while we're in court, the husband decides to have her car towed away. He had been leasing this car for her because the court ordered it. And he just had it towed away just to screw with her. So we literally come out of court and there's no car there. And so she loses her mind. So they have to set another court date for the judge to, you know, punish him or whatever it is. So a week or so later, they go back to court and the judge is going to punish her husband, A, for not paying the alimony that he's supposed to be paying every month. You know, he's months behind and he's had chances and chances and chances to pay it. And also because he's taken her car away and she needs to take the kids to school and she has no car, et cetera. And so the judge says to him, I I finally had enough. You're going to jail and you can get out of jail by paying what you owe her. And, you know, it's at this point, tens of thousands of dollars. And, and the guy says, well, I don't know where I'm going to get my hands on that money. And the judge says, well, figure it out. And oh, by the way, before the bailiff takes you away to jail, because you're going right now, please empty your pockets. So he empties his pockets and the judge picks up his car keys and hands them to the wife and says, now you've got a car to drive. So that's pretty cool in and of itself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just imagining, by the way, I'm imagining the look on the guy's face right? as the judge right in front of him is going, now you've got a car. Here's, here's not for your side of the story being true or not true. Here's for you just being a complete jerk about this whole thing. Right. Well, and the judge says to him, you know, if you want your car back, then give her her car back. Right. <laughs> right? right. So he gets hauled off to jail and she's got his set of keys which happened to have a key to his office on there. Which and you said earlier, because I'm paying attention, Tracy. She's, yes. she's an officer of the company. She's an officer of the company. He has denied her access all along to the company because he set up, when they came back to the U.S. for the allegedly temporary period, it really wasn't temporary. And he had set up an office in the U.S., but he would never let her go there. She was completely locked out of it. And so here's a key to this office. She has legal access as an Absolutely. officer to the corporation. There's no breaking and entering, nothing. There's I mean, no it's... breaking and entering. Of course, she wisely, as all clients should, she asked her attorney, am I allowed to go in the office? And her attorney says, well, yeah, you're an officer of the company. Of course you are. So she runs over to the office and she sees that there's boxes and drawers of documents. And she calls up a legal copy service and says, can you come over and get a bunch of documents and copy them for us? And they copy all the documents, replace them all. And she tells him it's no secret. I mean, by the time it takes him a bit to get out of jail, you know, by the time he's out of jail, all the documents have been copied and replaced. So she didn't steal anything. And she tells him, just so you know, I copied everything. And he sunk. Yes. He essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. And so the moral of the first story is if you're the new girlfriend, don't be so vain and be on Instagram. I think that's probably the moral of that story. The moral of this story is if you're not paying your alimony, don't be such a jerk about it. Right. Those might not be the takeaways. <laughs> Those are the takeaways. Absolutely. You know, the Instagram case is 
probably one of the most fun stories I have to tell, but it's certainly an outlier. You know, we get involved in these cases, and of course, we're always looking for social media. And I, I would say, you know, 95% of people are much more careful than that when they're going through their divorces. You know, their attorneys tell them, don't post stuff on social media. Of course, these folks can never help themselves. They always here. There will be a post here, or there of something that you know crossed the line or or adversely affects them in the divorce. But for the most part, we don't have this kind of evidence where I can sit there and line it up with the credit card statement. So that's kind of an outlier, <laughs> but fun story to tell. Boom, boom, boom. If if somebody has a case and they're wondering if a they're being ripped off because you've you've also done cases where people have been just blatantly ripped off there's fraud going on those types of things divorce case what other types of ponzi schemes i would imagine Indeed. You know, divorce is about a third of what I do. And uh, fraud investigations for companies where executives are sealing are about the, another third of what I do. Sometimes I represent the executive who's defending themselves and, and trying to prove how much was really stolen. You know, someone says, you took $3 million. And he says, no, I didn't. I only took a million. Well, <laughs> I can come in and help help prove that it was really only a million because, right, the theory is you should get punished for exactly what you stole and not a penny more. So that as well. Yeah, sometimes Ponzi schemes, investment type of schemes, insurance fraud. I will. I don't do a lot of work for insurance companies, but when there is a case where there's something complicated in a potential fraud situation, uh, maybe involving a business that mysteriously burns down when everyone knew they were just about to go under financially, an insurance company might get, get me involved there. I love talking about this stuff. If people want to reach out to you, it, your company is called Sequence. Sequencing Forensic Accounting. Awesome. And uh, you know what? We'll have a link on our show notes page to sequenceinc.com if you're walking the dog or you're on your morning commute. Tracy, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking about CSI meets spreadsheets. I love it. Do you have anything else you want to ask me before we go? We got to have you back. Absolutely not. We got to. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I would love to come back. You are a hoot. <laughs> hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And uh, in the spirit of Tracy's visit, thought it was time for old Doug to put on his Sherlock Holmes cap and decode some of these unsolved cases lingering in the basement. So, uh, so many mysteries here. The remote has been missing since last Tuesday. Joe's mom's canned peaches are surprisingly gone. And uh, finally, maybe we'll get to answer uh, to who's been stealing all the left socks from the dryer. While I dive into these serious problems, here's a trivia problem for you. They say to always start with the most probable answer when trying to solve a crime and work backwards. So how about this? What's the most likely thing identity thieves will try to steal? I'll be back with the answer as soon as I go grill that cat about the peaches. I'm going to come for you, cat. Hey, if you hire freelance talent a lot like we do, you're going to want to look at a place where we've looked extensively. But there are so many pieces of our show that come from Fiverr. It's amazing. Just to look behind the curtain, you know the... Hello, darlings. Headline segment kickoff. That's from Fiverr. You know the open we do sometimes when we're headed somewhere where it's an announcement. We also had Nick call in from uh, 
Alaska, Fiverr, Christopher Walken, Morgan Freeman, those <laughs> those people, and our Morgan Freeman barely sounds like Morgan Freeman, also from Fiverr. But let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or project. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, expensive. So where do you go to find talent? How much it'll cost? How can you be certain they'll deliver? Well, thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. Fiverr's marketplace helps you quickly get more done with less. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. You can search by service, deadline, price, reviews. I love when you search by uh, Nick from Alaska <laughs> or, or you search for Christopher Walken. Like you're looking specifically for some bizarre stuff and they always seem to have it. You'll know exactly what you're paying for up front. No negotiating needed. 24-7 customer support. Sellers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. I got to tell you, some of the people I've worked with have been fantastic. Finding talent for your project has never been easier. Review seller ratings, buy your feedback, and select the right freelancer based on your budget. I learned to do that early on, and I work with great people from there. Take five and check out Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R dot com, and you'll receive 10% off your first order by using the stacker code SB, it's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com, code SB, Fiverr. It starts here. Well, I love this for my stock portfolio because, as you know, the world of stock-based investing can be very frustrating. It can be very difficult to know how to start. You hear about a bottom-up approach, a top-down approach. All kinds of things. I remember back when I was a kid, I grabbed a Motley Fool book. This is back. Here's an Uncle Joe old guy story. But the Motley Fool guys were new on the scene. And I was super excited. So I grabbed a Motley Fool book and I dug into individual stocks. So if you've ever wondered how to invest or struggled to understand how to make your money work for you, the Motley Fool is just what you need. Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections and websites and gives you simple, easy-to-use analysis to help you understand the market and to understand stock-based investing. Of course, the Motley Fool started by Tom and David Gardner. They founded TMF out of their garage in Alexandria, Virginia. Both are still with the company. Tom's CEO, David's the lead stock analyst and board member. Motley Fool's flagship service, Stock Advisor, provides two stock recommendations every month, daily analysis and coverage designed to help you beat the market. Motley Fool's become, of course, well-known analyst. I'm sure you've probably heard of the Motley Fool, identifying the leaders and trends before they become everyday aspects of life. They recommended Amazon in 1997, recommended Netflix in 2004, they recommend a Marvel, of course, now Walt Disney in 2004. To kick off your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free to stackers. Head to fool.com forward slash SB. That's fool.com forward slash SB. Howdy, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And before I get to your trivia answer, got to report things are even worse than I thought. Can you believe that when someone heard Detective Doug was on the case, they tried to frame me as I was innocently searching for evidence 
I found all of Joe's mom's canned peaches stashed in the back of my El Camino. Looks like someone does not like where this investigation is going, but justice doesn't rest. The game is a hand, as they say, or is it the game is an ankle? I don't know. I can't even remember. Uh, Here was today's question. What's the most likely thing identity thieves will try to steal? While credit card theft was a strong number two, the biggest type of identity theft was in the area of government benefits or paperwork. According to the National Criminal Justice Referral System website, just over a third of all thieves reported someone trying to steal their government benefits or paperwork. Looks like with all this identity theft going on, I need to go catch this burglar and quick! Peaches thief, I am closing in on you. I am going to get you. Big thanks to Tracy for stopping by. I think the lesson there, OG, don't leave a paper trail. Exactly. If you shut down your Insta account, <laughs> you're gonna give your girlfriend an Amex card. Keep that. Keep that Insta account closed. Oh, that's it's so interesting. I would love. I I was serious when I told her I'd love to have that job. So that's basically what my wife did. Only she did it for companies. So she did forensic accounting and and uh, intellectual property type math for large organizations. So it was like. This company's suing this company. You know, she would sit down there and figure out like how much all that stuff is worth. And was it she th- said it was always funny when people would be like, Oh, it's not worth that. It's like, well, wait a second. A little while ago you were selling it for this. Yeah. Would you you, you know, that sort of thing. All so. of a sudden lose a bunch of money because I have these documents yeah. on what you did before. Yeah. Yeah. So she wasn't a lawyer, but she worked on the finance side of it. So is um, it like Tracy said, where it's you know, nine hours in a row of just sorting, 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 and then 10 minutes of your heart beating really fast because you found treasure? I have no idea because I didn't do any of the work, but I know it was a lot of hours of going through financial documents and spreadsheets and financial documents and spreadsheets and financial documents and and uh, more spreadsheets. still think that sounds like like fun. Great. Yeah. Great way to make a living. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Spousal fraud. (laughs) Clearly number one. Number one. No, that's why you got to have those weekly finance meetings. I got called to the carpet last night. I was like, hey, I picked up this thing that I wanted to do, you know, this little project that I wanted to do. And Mrs. OG goes... Yeah, so remember that part about us not spending any money in January? And I'm like, oh, snap. Yes, I do remember. She's like, so what are you going to do about that? I'm like, change the rules, obviously. Let's not spend money in February. I think it was definitely time for the team meeting. Got to have the weekly finance meeting. It's actually your loved ones and your time. Time with loved ones when they're not angry at you is... Always better time. Yes. While they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get your free quote. I also like their online calculator, by the way, because it's a range. And anyone who knows insurance knows there's no set rule of thumb number. It is a range based on a lot of different criteria. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to Dylan. Say hi, Dylan. What's going on, Joe and OG? Had a question with pre-tax investing versus after-tax investing, retirement versus non-retirement. My wife and I currently make around 108000 per year and spend around 40000 a year. I also travel for work, and I make an average about 1500 
extra per month non-taxable income for reimbursement on my travel. My wife makes 60000 and puts 15% to her 401k and also maxes out a Roth. I make 48000 contribute 9% into my pension that's mandatory, and 10% into a 457 plan, and also max out a Roth IRA. We also do some other investing into just brokerage accounts outside of retirement. So my question is, we could max out my wife's 401k, max out my 457 plan, continue to max out Roths each year, but we wouldn't be able to do any regular individual brokerage account investing. My worry with doing this is that I'll be a 40-year-old millionaire who doesn't have any money to touch. It's all in retirement accounts that I can't touch without doing a 72-step or Roth IRA conversion ladder, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I was just curious if y'all think I should continue doing what we're doing now and breaking it all up between different accounts or just go fully into retirement accounts so we can save more tax dollars. Thanks. Thank you, Dylan, for that question. By the way, not lost on me, the difference between what he makes and what he spends. Yeah. There should be no relation besides the fact that the expense number should be smaller than the amount you make number. There should be no relation between what you make and what you spend besides that correlation. Just because you make X number of dollars does not mean you need to live that lifestyle. You can live whatever lifestyle you want. Well, it is, it is, but this is where the rat race comes in, right? You got to spin that hamster wheel, OG, faster and faster. And, uh, heard that. (laughs) No, Mrs. Mrs. OG heard that. Preach. And that she reminded you. What a great problem to have. You know, I think that this is going to boil down to what is the overall financial goal? you know, that you have, if you are trying to, you said, Hey, I don't want to be a 40 year old millionaire with no money I can touch without dot, 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 dot. Uh, firstly, what's wrong with being a 40 year old millionaire with money that you have to perform those things on to do Roth conversion ladders and 72 T's and all that sort of stuff. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the goal, if the goal is, Hey, I want to be retired when I'm 40 or I want to be retired when I'm 45, you're right to sit down and say, okay, well, how much money do I need liquid, air quotes, not tax deferred accounts, retirement specific accounts, where does that money have to be to make my withdrawal strategy that much easier? If you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I love what I do. You know, my retirement at my job isn't until I'm 57 anyway. So I got to be here for 30 more years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well then why not have it be in the workplace plan, you know, Roth or or a pre-tax 457 or 401k, which would be the other side of the idea too, which is why not get that money into the Roth component of your workplace plan if that's an option. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. It's after tax, but it's going to grow tax deferred. You're going to take it out tax-free. You can put that into a Roth IRA when you do retire. If you retire at 40, that money is available to you to use. If you don't use it, you know, that sort of thing. So I would explore that. But otherwise, this will really boil down to when do you need the money? And if you don't need it until you're 60, put it in an account that's designed to be used at 60. If you want to use it at 40, make sure you got money in an account that you can use at 40. This is why this is one of my favorite questions. Everybody thinks all the time, how do I save best? But Dylan's thinking about how do I spend best? 
Yeah. And I like that because you've got these different places that you're trying to set up this orchard of different investing opportunities. And I like what Stephen Covey says in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is when you pick up one end of the stick, you also pick up the other end. And I feel like we always look at one end of the stick. We don't look enough at what Dylan's looking at. When am I going to need that money? I don't want to be 40 years old, multimillionaire, hopefully, and all my money's locked up. I can't get at any of it. Right. If I'm going to retire early, I want to be able to, to use that cash. Love it. And there's certain ways around it, but, but nevertheless, you still want to kind of make your life easier. And if you see that coming, if you're like, Hey, I'm 25, I'm spending $3,500 a month. I need to have $2 million. That's doable by the time that you're 40 or 45 with his savings rate. And you have to be thinking, okay, well, so what? So I retire at 40, where's my paycheck coming from the first month? And you can sit down and kind of map that whole thing out and have that almost be like your sinking fund until you get to your retirement accounts, you know, at age 60. So it's great that he's thinking about it. Thanks for the call, Dylan. You've got a question. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, we're happy to answer your question as well. Great stuff, Dylan. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Two quick things. Number one is... Big thanks to everybody who joined us yesterday in New York, even though because of travel, we're recording this a little early. I have to say we had a great time. Everybody, in the future, everybody, we're, we're definitely going to have a great time. <laughs> everybody was phenomenal. I can't believe that horrible thing OG did about partway through the night um, <laughs> that we're all talking about this morning. It was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, fantastic. Kickstands are still a thing, right? It, well, apparently, if they're not, Bobby certainly didn't know that. <laughs> she, she's going to kill me for involving her in our tomfoolery. No, we've been excited about coming to Manhattan for a long, long, long time. By the way, Manhattan, Kansas, maybe someday. I've been there. Cool town. It is a cool town. Two other quick things. Number one, big thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this podcast. This one is on Mom's Fridge today. A fantastic listen. Five stars from Birdie B123. This podcast is one of the best, a lot of fun, but also very informative. The relaxed style of Joe and OG make this compelling listening. The production is very professional. You can tell these guys have mastered their craft. Well, <laughs> that part's over the top. Uh, three shows a week's a lot of work, but I listen to every one of them. Thanks for a great show. Thanks to Birdie B123 for that. And Wait, you told me there's only one show a week now. <laughs> look at <laughs> look at the time. And if you've got if you need financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team have thrown the doors open for 2020 as people stampede and be part of that stampede. How about that? Head to stackybenjamins.com for, just like the Texas Roadhouse on a Friday night in Texarkana. The doors are open. Happy hours from four to six. Those biscuits are amazing. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to find out how they can make your planning better. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got a premiere, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, if we learned anything from Tracy, it's that our financial lives are incredibly hard to conceal. So make sure you keep things by the book. Otherwise, someone like Tracy might be on your case. Second, Prepping for an interview? Start with the basics. Rehearse. Be early. 
bring plenty of questions and hydrate people. I can't emphasize this enough. Hydrate. If you're prepped and excited, they're more likely to want you on the team. But the big takeaway, don't tell mom where you're at with your peaches investigation. That woman didn't hear a word after they were in the back of my car. More window washing? It's cold outside. How about dish duty, Ma? Come on, I'll do the dishes for like a week. Big thanks to our guest, Tracy Conan. You can learn more about Tracy by going to tracyconan.com or head to the show notes page to find where you'll find the links to Tracy's work. <laughs> that's, that's like its own little mystery all by itself, isn't it? You go into our page to look for links that get you to links to get to Tracy's stuff. Good luck! This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. I previewed this uh, a little bit Monday, but I went to see this uh, movie in theaters, Jumanji 2, The Next Level. You still talking to your friends? It's complicated. Many a tear has to fall. When we first got together, but it's all we were different people in the game. Grandpa Eddie? Anthony? This is uh, uh, Martha and, and Bethany. This is Spencer's grandfather. Nice to meet you. Morning. Sorry to barge in on you. Uh, you're not barging. He's barging. Milo Walker. <laughs> Did you guys see Spencer? I think he went back in. We gotta go get him. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> we haven't even picked our guys yet. Oh, he's just part right. You hear something? Huh? Spencer. Huh? What? Who are you? Oh my god. You're Spencer's grandfather. Are we in Florida? And you? My little walker. 
that I die and turn into some kind of a small, muscular boy scout. Are we dead? Bethany? No, no, no! Fritch? I'm the old fat dude. This can't be happening! My hip sure feels good now. So, uh, new characters here, OG. Actually, the same characters in the game, but different people, as you heard, inhabiting their bodies. The cast this time around is joined by a couple people that you might have seen before. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? A guy named Danny Glover plays the part of Milo, who's friends with Spencer's grandfather, played by Danny DeVito. And these two guys used to own a restaurant together. Now Danny DeVito's come to live with Spencer and his family. Spencer's having problems with his brand new girlfriend from Jumanji 1. Don't make me explain the first one to you. Just go back and see it. They all get sucked in, but now The Rock is Danny DeVito, and Kevin Hart is Danny Glover, and hilarity, just like the first time ensues. You said the first time. Do you mean the, the like one from Robin Williams? Yeah, let's go back. Is that the first one? I will go on record forever saying, and I people tell me I'm wrong all the time, but Jumanji, the Robin Williams one, love Robin Williams. That movie sucked. That was a horrible, okay. that, that was not a good movie. But the reboot, which I got dragged to see by Cheryl when it came out a couple of years ago, the reboot starring Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart. Oh, so there's, this is the, there's been two of these. Jack Black. Which shows how much. Yada, I'm yada, yada. Sure. Oh my God. That movie's so funny. That movie is oh, okay. so right. incredibly. So there's been three Jumanji's. Funny. Yes. They, there might even been a Jumanji two back in the Robin Williams day. I don't know. What I yeah. do know is I got dragged to the first one with Dwayne Johnson and uh, laughed my head off. This one, I was excited to see. Not disappointed. Not as good as, as the reboot from two years ago, but still a fun ride, a fun two hours. Kid-friendly? Very kid-friendly. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure that this needs to, that this is a series that we need to see. I don't think it's a series that goes on forever. I kind of hope not because there were already some jokes in this one that felt a little tired. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll go with it. It's all right. But uh, still a lot of the same type of laughs. Just when you've got Dwayne Johnson, Jack Black, Kevin Hart with a straight face playing these other people. And the cool thing about Danny Glover is we know who Danny Glover is from a bunch of other movies. So when Kevin Hart is doing Danny Glover and Kevin Hart's body, it is, it's, it's incredible. Well, I think that, uh, that cast is pretty good. So yeah, it is, uh, we'll go see it. let's put it this way. It's a thumb three quarters up, which is, which is what I'm looking for from this kind of movie. I got to tell you somebody I saw in the farewell and who's quickly become a favorite uh, actor of mine. Aquafina is in this movie and, uh, and just, she is, I know she was in Crazy Rich Asians. She was in Ocean's 8, a movie I didn't like that much. Uh, the Farewell, I thought was really good. She's an actor that I'm quickly just going, you know what? This is one of my favorite people to watch movies with. Very funny. So Jumanji 2, good family fun. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have 
served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.